0: all right what's good everybody welcome back to talking sports with p scott i'm prescott kelly make sure to smash that five star review button because if you don't you're a buster with no rhyme or reason so let's get into it so one thing that i absolutely love and when i say that i mean it with all of the sarcasm that i can muster is when people say that they're self-aware and they could not be further away from that personality trait. So welcome back to Talking Sports with Peace Scott. I'm Prescott Kelly. I want you guys to try to bear with me. I've been on my deathbed for the last three and a half days and I'm finally feeling okay. I've had nothing to eat and water and blue Powerade for the last, I'd say, 90 hours. I was upgraded from doubtful to active, but I am on a snap count, but we'll go ahead and power through this episode today for you. So I led this episode off with people saying that they're self-aware when they really aren't. And where I'm really coming from with that is one of my favorite sayings on this show and just in life is people want to be right, but they don't want to get it right. And we see that all the time with sports. Whatever the last thing that we saw was the best thing or the worst thing, depending on that outcome. And there's absolutely zero perspective. There's zero accountability for what's happened beforehand, what somebody's personal resume is. And it's literally just second by second, snap by snap, possession by possession of how we treat players and teams overall. And it's just so goddamn frustrating. Now, I am somebody who has been guilty sometimes to a fault as far as holding on too much to what I've seen greatness of and say, no, they can probably pull us because I've seen it before. I am somebody who I will not give you props on something that happened one time and one time only. I refuse to do it. I kind of take that back. Obviously, in that moment, I'm willing to give you credit for the actual play itself, but to to put you on a pedestal of saying that you should be the starter if you were the backup or to say that you're the front runner for MVP when you weren't even in the consideration beforehand, I'm not that guy. I can take an individual play and say, hey, that was a great play. Let's move on to the next one. I'm, I'm not willing to annoy anybody anything based off of a sample size of one. And I bring this up for multiple reasons, and the, the largest one was probably Mike White. Over the past couple weeks, now again, this, the, the last episode I had was a week and a half ago. So I've been removed for a little bit. So this is a little bit of a dated you know, take, if you will. And before I get into this, I'm not going to say all Jets fans were doing this. Because that is not what I am saying. If there's a certain handful of people who listen to this who probably think that this is about them. And if you do, it's not. It's not about you specifically. I know probably two or three Jets fans. You guys aren't like this. But I have seen. I swear to God. One game. Who should we trade in the offseason, Mike White or Zach Wilson? Like, that was already a conversation that happened off of one game. That is absurd to me. Well, because of course you trade Zach Wilson because he was the number two overall pick and you can get an absolute haul for it. If we're going to do that stupid hypothetical, that's the route that you would go. (laughs) Goddamn people on the internet are just... Just ridiculous sometimes. In all seriousness, no, I wouldn't trade either one of them. Mike White's a third-year pro making his first start in Zach Wilson's halfway through his rookie year. I wouldn't trade either of them anyways, but I'm just saying, if you're going to throw that thing out there, number two overall pick from just this year, just imagine what you can get back, because that Jets team is not very good. Let's just be serious. But moving on, and this is where I'm going to go on a bunch of wild different tangents I can already feel because I've got a bunch of different notes that I've got listed for a bunch of different players. So just stay with me. It gets a lot crazy and a lot convoluted. In the description of this episode, I said it was going to be a little bit more Bills centered um, I don't talk a whole lot of Bill's football on here. When I do, it's usually Josh Allen because I am somebody who, my stance on Josh Allen has not really changed over the past three and a half, four years, whereas a lot of the media has because this is what I was hearing the first two years, Josh Allen's trash. That was, that was just the overall analysis. Josh Allen is trash. Now he was not good his first two years, so let's let's not try to sugarcoat that. But the other thing too, and this is why I say it comes with perspective, is do you guys remember what that offensive roster was like in Josh Allen's first two years? It was absolutely atrocious. But my criticisms of him were holds on to the ball too long, plays hero ball, wildly inaccurate. All of those things were accurate in an assessment of Josh Allen as a quarterback but also there is the caveat that there was nothing around him offensively there just wasn't and I'm not trying to say that Josh Allen didn't put in work in the offseason but it does raise the question of what came first the chicken or the egg and you can put whichever one you want to whether the chicken being Josh Allen or Stefan Diggs and vice versa with the egg but I saw two years of Josh Allen without Stefan Diggs and it wasn't good now the stats have been bonkers for him over the last year and a half. But for people who actually watch Buffalo Bills games, which is weird because outside of Bills Mafia, I don't know a whole lot of people who just tune in for Bills games. My computer has full-blown AIDS because of me trying to watch Bills games because it's the only team that I care about. But again, we saw what this team and this offense was without Stefan Diggs. I have zero proof that Josh Allen would be as good as he is if he had the same wide receiving core basically for a third year in a row. I think he would have been better than he was first two years, but he would have made a jump from two to three. And that was unprecedented anyways. Like, that's, That is something that you just don't see. But you cannot tell me that he would have been number two in the MVP race if he did not have Stefan Diggs or any of those like top five-ish wide receivers. If you had somebody like that, I could see where the jump could at least be attainable. But without him, he gave you no reason to think that he would be that way. So again, perspective. You put the first two years in front of you. And you think there's no way he's making that jump. Now the jump from two to three, everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon and say, Josh Allen's a real deal. And I'm not trying to say that he isn't one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. He's obviously made his strides and progressions, but again, would he be in that position without Stefan Diggs? My answer to that riddle currently would be no. Now, luckily now this is one thing that I have really praised the bills front office on is them trying to acquire talent because of draft picks, instead of going the other way around. I feel like, and I've said this before, I feel like the NFL does a great job of selling hope with the draft, but that's a bunch of crap. Go and get players. The Rams have been good for the last few years because they went and got proven players for draft picks. The Bills are doing the exact same thing. Now, it's going to be be a little more interesting to see once Josh Allen's actual contract kicks in, because this is just an extension. He's going to start getting paid that absurd amount of money next year. And I know the cap's going to go up, but he's still going to give a percentage or two. He's going to be accounting for about 20-ish percent of your salary cap starting next year. That's when things are going to get interesting. That's how you're going to see how good is he really You know, in a couple of years because obviously other contracts are being coming off the books. You're going to have to sign other guys too. You're going to have to re-sign guys. And that's where the real manipulation of the salary cap is going to come into play. Now, I'm going to circle back to Josh Allen in a moment. But one thing I want to talk about, since we're talking about stud wide receivers and Stefan uh, Diggs, I do also want to bring up Odell Beckham Jr. real quick. Boy, y'all love the hate on this man, huh? Now, I know that he had a rough go of it in Cleveland. I get it. And you don't like that his daddy basically put out a mixtape burn on Baker Mayfield. And I get that too. I'm usually not a big fan of when parents get involved with professional athletes, but it's also their kids, so I you know, I get it to a degree. And, of course, the Browns won the other week, and it was a blowout. They don't need OBJ, but without the context of there was a defensive touchdown and a 70-yard rushing touchdown, and Baker only had to throw for, like, 50 yards to wide receivers. Y'all don't want to look at that, though, because then they got smashed by the Patriots just obliterated. And OBJ didn't have a, a great outing with his first game with uh, with the Rams against San Francisco. I get that, two for 16. But that's his first game there. But what I want to circle back to is, did you guys ever think that maybe Baker Mayfield just isn't that good? Like, let's go ahead and take that analysis in for just a moment. Odell Beckham Jr. didn't play for the Browns last week and is still their number Three leading wide receiver. Like, isn't that insane to you? There isn't one receiver on the Browns that has over 400 yards. Their leading receiver is Njoku with barely 350 and Donald Peebles-Jones at 330. Maybe Baker has problems finding wide receivers. Maybe Stefanski is basically treating Baker Mayfield like... The 49ers were a few years ago with uh, with Jimmy Garoppolo. Just babysit, babysit, babysit. The roster around you is ready to win a Super Bowl, but you're handcuffed by this quarterback who's just middle of the road at best. Odell Beckham Jr. to me still has a lot left in the tank. Now, I know, the thing for me is I don't understand why he's getting so much hate as being like a diva. That was like six years ago. He's been a really good teammate from what I can tell with his time in Cleveland, In the last couple of years or so that he was in New York. If we're looking for like legitimate landing spots for him. I think the only way that you can kind of have the best of both worlds. With having a top flight wide receiver like him. Which I believe that he still is. Because I still see him break dudes off all the time. And have the team success is that he has to be really your number one guy. Like not being fighting for targets all the time. And that might sound like diva to you. But where I'm coming from on that is that's basically what Buffalo's done. They got Diggs, who is the guy who's always going to get you like 12 to 15 targets a game. And then they got their slot guy with Beasley. And they got Gabriel Davis, who will get him like three or four a game. Dawson Knox will get like three or four a game swinging to the backs. But Diggs is the guy. And they all know that. Everybody knows that in the locker room and across the NFL. Diggs is the dude. You still got to worry about everybody else. That's kind of the formula that I think that you would need to, to really bring everything together for an offense to click. And I think that there's spots that would work really well with them. I think Las Vegas, I think Las Vegas is a perfect fit because you've got a guy like a Hunter Renfro and you've got Waller. And you've got Josh Jacobs. And I always confuse whether it's David or Derek Carr, but you got that Carboy boy who's balling out over there, too. Boss, to me, make the most sense because you look across the landscape. I mean, he technically go to the Jets, but I think he still wants to win as well. So, I mean, he would be the number one overall wide receiver there, too. Elijah Moore is going to eventually take that over, I would imagine, But those are the two spots to me where they make the perfect sense and the Raiders would be just an absolute match made in heaven if for whatever reason it doesn't work out with the Rams this year. All right, so I'm going to swing back over to Josh Allen again like I promised earlier and I don't know if I've got a whole lot more left in me for today's episode. I was hoping to get a little bit more out. But like I said, we were on a snap count today and I think we went ahead and reached our limit so we'll go ahead and wrap this one up for the day. So I got a buddy of mine who's a big Bills fan and uh, he, he direct messages me quite often uh, either about the podcast or Josh Allen because I will say this I'll give him credit when it comes to Josh Allen now I don't remember the timeline of when he and I first interacted but I'm sure it was in one of those like private Buffalo Bills groups which I left all of them because I hate Homer fans and I just couldn't stand them anymore but I had met him in either one of those or another sports group you know we we ended up talking quite a bit and um like I said, I can't remember the exact timeline of when we started talking and when the draft was. I have a feeling that we started interacting more after the draft. But he was somebody from the get who was like, Josh Allen's going to be a stud, you just wait. And I was hesitant. And mostly because, like I said earlier, that Bill's offensive roster was just absolute dog shit. And you've got to have pieces around you, especially with a young quarterback. And that's where we see a lot of these young quarterbacks fail, is it? You're drafting high for a reason, and it can take time to build up those rosters because you're going to be bad for at least a couple of years generally if you get the quarterback number one. You don't have anything else around you largely either, and the Bills were drafting 12, so you know they're kind of middle of the road, but on the bottom end of it, and they moved up to seven, and one of the things he's always kind of pushed me on is why do you hate the move that they went to go get Josh Allen, and I've always said I don't hate that they got Josh Allen. That has never been my issue. My issue is you didn't have to trade up to get him. Now, this was an argument that I made on the previous show before the reboot, and I I know we've got a lot of new listeners, so I'll go ahead and reiterate my point of view on this. So again, you got to remember the time frame of this. This was 2018, okay? So a lot's changed since then, but this was the landscape then. So you had Cleveland number one, and this one, this is, so this is where I kind of have Matt's back on it, because... Baker Mayfield was the number one overall pick that year and I didn't see that coming and nobody saw that coming until it was draft day. I remember waking up and I got a notification from NFL Network and it's like Baker Mayfield presumed to go number one overall. And when I saw that, I thought, well, if that isn't just the biggest ruse ever in the history of the NFL because he was nowhere at that number one spot, nowhere close to it. I think Sam Darnold or uh, Saquon Barkley were largely the two guys who were kind of rumored to go. To that number one spot if they didn't trade down so I woke up I saw Baker Mayfield I was like <laughs> okay NFL network that's a good one with just like a wink to my phone and just like ah, I needed that to get up out of bed this morning that's gonna help me get through today the and then it happened and I was like oh sh- okay so this is how we're gonna start the NFL draft off so to a degree I get his point but again hindsight's always 2020 and when I'm looking at it in that moment and in that space and time the Bills didn't have to move. Now, when you look at it, they trade the number 12 to the number 17. I think the number 52 and number 56 pick overall. I may have gotten those wrong, but again, you're basically giving up like two second rounders. So basically two starting caliber type players to go up and get him. But also, this isn't somebody who was highly touted as supposed to be like the number one overall pick. Anyway. It's the same thing like with Patrick Mahomes. Like when people want to say, well, of course you would get Patrick Mahomes and they blast the Bears. And it's like, well... <laughs> The Chiefs went from like 27 to 10 to get him, and there were nine other teams that whiffed and didn't pick him that needed a quarterback as well, or at least four or five of them. So this just plays into people want to be right and play 2020 hindsight, but they don't actually want to get it right and say, oh, you know what, Well, none of us saw that coming. And nobody, nobody did see that with Mahomes, and nobody saw this with Allen because if that was the case, he wouldn't have slipped to number seven. My point is when you look at the landscape of that draft, There wasn't anybody that was really betting against Buffalo anyways. Here was the original setup of the 2018 draft, right? So 1 through 12, it was Browns, Giants, Jets, Browns again, Broncos, Colts, Bucks, Bears, Niners, Raiders, Dolphins, then Bills. And here is how that draft shook out for those specific spots. Baker Mayfield, Saquon Barkley, Sam Darnold, Denzel Ward, Bradley Chubb, and Quentin Nelson were the first six picks off the board, which means you got which means you got six more picks until it's you, Buffalo, and then you're on the clock. And in 2018, you were fighting with number seven, Tampa, who had Jameis Winston and wasn't willing to move off him yet. Number eight, Chicago, and they had just drafted Mr. Trubisky. You know they weren't going to move off that L that quickly. You have to at least play him two years to save face. The San Francisco 49ers, the Raiders, who still had Carr, the Dolphins, who still had Tannehill, and then it's Buffalo. We've seen what Miami was willing to do. They were willing to let Ryan Tannehill die there until they finally moved him to Tennessee. But this is what it all comes back to. I mean, this is why I think that sports is so fun is because, to me, I don't feel like you had to move up because I don't think that Josh Allen was highly talented anyways. We saw the big arm, but all the things that made him Josh Allen his first years in the NFL was what he was in college. It wasn't until he got that stud wide receiver that he started to finally blossom. So for me, I don't have a problem with them getting Josh Allen. I just don't feel like they needed to trade it up to get it because you could have got two more starters. And look, the Bills are where they are right now anyway, so I'm happy. I feel like they're a very good football team. And I haven't been able to say that in a long time. But I feel like that's more of a testament to what Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have done than really just trying to put everything on the court because that's what we want to do, right? We want to make, we want to make wins about quarterbacks wins and losses is just about quarterbacks which is like the most neanderthal sports thing that we can do but what's been impressive is the bills organization being able to say okay well, we'll, we'll get we'll get tall wide receivers initially because that can help with his inaccuracy issues then pulled a 180 and said no we need to get quick guys who can get separation and make those margins for error a little bit bigger for him instead of trying to combat his inaccuracies with tall guys Let's get guys who can actually get separation. Make those throwing windows a little bit easier for him to get into, and that's what they've done. So, like, I've 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 been praising this Bills front office forever, or not forever, obviously, but like since this McDermott and and, and Bean regime has taken over, they are they are the ones who's really kind of put this team on the map, and. I've already, I've already said my piece as far as what I think are his shortcomings as far as as far as Allen is concerned, and I still believe that. And this is the biggest glaring one, and I've been harping on this forever, and it's always the, the decision-making and the holding on the ball when things get tight. The Bills played the Jacks two weeks ago, and they couldn't do anything. They underestimated Jacksonville, and they came out there and punched him in the mouth. And then they had little brother the next week against the Jets and just put their foot on their throat. But when the Bills are up early, Josh Allen looks like a whole different dude. But when things get tight and get constricted in like the fourth quarter and the third and when things are tight, he tends to go back into those hero ball mentalities and he gets loose with the ball. And once he gets rid of that crap, then I would consider him to be more of a top tier quarterback. But this is the most damning one. Since 2018 when he was drafted, he is in the top five in fumbles. And you know who the other four that are ahead of him? Carson Wentz, Daniel Jones, Derek Carr, Jared Goff. If you're on a list that is quote unquote top five and it and it, <laughs> and it involves Wentz, Jones, and Goff, that's not good. That is not good, bro. But once he can get all of that negative crap out of his repertoire, I would consider him one of the, actually one of the more upper echelon quarterbacks in the NFL. That and still a decision making. Again, I know he's putting up bonkers stats, but there are way too many times where he looks for the big play and there's something underneath and he just is not willing to take it and he needs to start doing it more often. So I guess in closing, when it comes to how do you acquire an MVP caliber type quarterback, it's usually got to move up in the draft. Usually that's how it works. And if you were to tell NFL fan bases you only had to move up from number 12 to number seven and give up two second round picks, would you do it to get an MVP caliber quarterback? And I guarantee you every one of them says, hell yes, sign me up. But what if I also told NFL fans you could get that same player and not have to do that at all? This is what makes sports so great because you can look at it from two different perspectives. There's different angles to this. There's a bunch of what is. I personally don't think that Josh Allen becomes a guy that he is right now without Stephon Diggs. I also don't feel like the Bills had to trade-up to get him, and they still could have gotten their guy. So with that being said, that is my roundup on Josh Allen and OBJ and a couple other things. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to Talking Sports with Peace Scott. I'm Prescott Kelly. As always, stay up, stay blessed. I'll catch you on the next one, and hopefully I am feeling better too.